Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode number 11 of the Broke at 40 podcast. My name is Evan Thomas, and thank you for joining me today. I have to start off by saying this episode might be a little bit difficult for me to communicate and to put into words. Uh, the episode is called How Can You Think Critically? Especially, how can you think critically about money? So I started putting the episode together earlier this morning and I started you know, thinking through what I wanted to say and I have a few notes in front of me. And so I really want to kind of capture and have this episode be about how can a person think critically about money? Are there a couple skills and things that I've done in the past to think critically? Are there things that I've done that might be a little bit different in terms of how people see their money from one year to the, ne- to the next? And so I'd like to be able to share with you things that I have come up with. But first, today is June 28th of the year 2020. And again, this is episode number 11. I always start off by saying my name is not really Evan Thomas. I do this so I can share real numbers with you in this podcast forum. I always also share with you that my net worth today is about 933000 So I'm trying to get to the million dollar status here in the year 2020. We'll see if that happens or not, because as you know, we live in very volatile times right now with the pandemic and with a possible recession coming in. Actually, most likely it will be a recession, um, but it's always been my goal to get to a million, to a million and a half, potentially two million if I continue to work all the way to age 67, which I probably won't want to do. I'm also not broke, as you know, and I'm not 40. I'm actually 54. So it has really taken me approximately 15 years to get to a 933, just under a million dollar net worth. And so as I was thinking through how do you think critically I actually came up with a couple different things. And I'm going to tie this together with a podcast that I heard just recently. Um, Andy Hill from Marriage, Kids, and Money had just announced that he and his wife got to a net worth of a million dollars. And he gave some real numbers. And I always like it when people share real numbers because then I have the ability to think about, well, how long did it take them to get there? What are the, some of the things that they've done? And I listen to Andy's podcast not all the time. Um, if you're like me, you probably listen to, you know, five, six, seven, eight, or maybe ten different podcasts. And you listen to episodes that may interest you. And you go on with your life and you circle back. And so, you know, you're always listening to podcasts and picking up little tidbits of information. But this interview that I heard with Andy was particularly of interest to me because he shared, again, his numbers and how long it took he and his wife to get to the million-dollar status. And I'm going to link that together with, now that you've been listening to Broke at 40, my podcast, you know that it's taken me 15 years to get here, whereas it took him about 10 years to get to a million dollars. And so by analyzing some of the numbers that he shared, and I cross-checked to mine, I'd like to be able to share with you what comparison I found. 
So when I was thinking about this episode, how do you think critically, two things came to mind. Number one, one thing that I do quite a bit is I cross-check. I cross-check, as you have heard through previous episodes, especially the one where I shared about build a budget. If you're going to build your vision on paper first, you most likely have that skill set to be able to cross-check to what you envisioned for the year to be and cross-check that to what the year actually turned out to be at the very end. So having that ability to cross-check and to look at the numbers in several different ways and hopefully coming to the same result in those several different ways, especially if you're dealing with numbers of savings rate, interest rates that you get on your money as on an average for the whole year, you probably have or would want to develop the skill sets to be able to cross-check, which means look at things many different ways. And as you look at those things many different ways, write it down on paper, and did you get to the same result that you thought you would? If you did, then you know that you're pretty accurate in your assumptions of your ability to cross-check to get to those numbers. And so critical thinking actually means, you know, that's the analysis of facts. So if you're thinking about money, for example, you know that if you're trying to get to a certain dollar amount at the end of the year, you have the ability to analyze the facts of how you're going to get there from point A to point B. You know, money is a complex subject. So to be able to have that ability to analyze it and to be rational and to oftentimes be skeptical, you know, you're cross-checking, you're making sure You know, is this the amount of money I'm putting into my savings every year? Is this the amount of money I'm putting into my investments every year? You're cross-checking, you're being skeptical, you're saying, what happens if this happens? Like, what if we go into a pandemic, which we did in 2020? And of, of course, I didn't predict the pandemic, but what I did predict is that because we were at the end of a bull market of 14 to 15 years, I knew that we were going into um, a bear market. I just didn't know when that would be. So I'm always looking at money money from a skeptical standpoint, right? And you should be unbiased as well. You're looking at factual evidence and you're cross-checking to see if that's what you get to as well as it relates to that money. Some other things about critical thinking is that most of us that do this have learned to be self-directed. Nobody is standing over me with a wooden spoon saying, why don't you spend an hour on Sunday going over your money? You know, why don't you spend a couple hours on a Saturday and cross-check to your money to see if you're still on track? It's also very, um, people are self-motivated as well. So not only self-directed, but I'm motivated, and you should be too, as you think about your money, you should be motivated. You're, you know, inside of you, it should be in the depth of the person that you are or want to become, to be self-motivated to look at this critically and to try to get to where you want to be. And also to be very self-corrective. 2020 is a very good example of how, as I've looked at what I was forecasting originally in January, is not really what I'm thinking now in terms of what is going to happen because of the coronavirus and the recession that we're going into. But I'm okay with that. 
because I'm still going to dollar cost average into the market. The money, yes, net worth may come down a little bit, but it's going to go back up. I'm not wanting to quit my job yet, so all of this is just fine. And before I go further, I also want to share with you a few characteristics of critical thinking. There's three things. One would be passion for clarity, for precision, for accuracy, for relevance, and consistency, and completeness, and fairness. Um, number two, um, be sensitive in the way in to ways that things could be skewed a little bit. Maybe wishful thinking, for example, or ignorance. And I have to say, on Amazon, if you listen to and if you're a Prime member, I would encourage you to go out and watch some of the episodes of a series that was called Till Debt Do Us Part. Till D-E-B-T Do Us Part. It was a Canadian show. And I've been watching it lately. It's interesting to me. I watched it many years ago. It came out in 2005, I believe. But there are episodes, and here it is 15 years later, which is fine, but there are episodes that are really interesting to watch. So I would encourage you to go out there. Um, this woman named Gail, a financial analyst, I guess, talks to couples um, that are having money problems. And the reason I wanted to bring that series up. For one, I want you to go look at it because it's very interesting to see what other people have done in the past with money. Um, but in terms of wishful thinking and ignorance, there was an episode where um, this couple was completely ignorant of what, you know, the situation that they were in. And if you think back to my episode Bankrupt at 29, when I was 29 years old, I was ignorant as well. I was ignorant. I had no idea how much debt I had. I had no idea. I didn't want to open up the statements and add it all up. So I was pretty ignorant. People can change. So if you're feeling that way, you can change as well. And wishful thinking too. I've talked about this in previous episodes. Nobody's ever going to, you know, you can't just wish your way to wealth is what I'd like to say. Nobody can wish themselves to wealth. It's something that is very... Um, tactical. You have to see it. You have to see the numbers. You have to be very self-motivated and self-directed, like I said earlier. Very intentional in your journey towards building wealth over time. And the third characteristic of critical thinking is being intellectually honest with yourself. You know, know that you have limitations, for example. I know that I'm not going to get to $10 million ever. I'm living in my reality. I started at 40. If you're broke and you're 35 or you're 40 years old and you start looking at your money and your income and your expenses, do an analysis, and I'll share that in episodes coming up here in the future. What is the reality of where you could actually get to? You know, sit down with your money and look at it and say, if I have a debt, how many months is it going to take to pay that off? And then I shift that over into my savings and investments, as I've talked about in previous episodes. So critical thinking really means know your limitations. I know that I will probably get to a million, a million and a half, maybe two million if I work until 67. And I'm going to, as I said previously, I may not work until that age. So somewhere in there, I'm going to be fine and I'll quit my W-2 job. I also understand my lack of knowledge. 
I think that I don't I haven't shared this on a podcast yet, but most of financial literacy, most of those of you that are building financial freedom and most of you that want to be financially independent, it really only takes about 15 to 20% knowledge. I've shared that before that you know, mutual funds, if you just get into one that rides the index of the S&P 500, you're going to get the results of the market, and that's fine. So um, know that, you know, 20% is knowledge to build wealth, but 80% approximately is your behaviors. What are your behaviors? Are you thinking critically? Are you you know, thinking every year with your spreadsheet of, of what you hope to get to. So having those behavioral modifications, learning the skill sets that are required to get there, like delaying gratification that I shared within a previous episode, are all very important in terms of getting to a certain point of wealth. So that's just a little bit about critical thinking. I think critical thinking is super important and something that I do all the time. One other thing that I also wanna make note of is, a few years ago, I came up with a concept that I call reverse engineering. Reverse engineering means to me that when I get to the end of the year, I like to reverse engineer and think about money in terms of, you know, what interest rate did I really get? You know, if I have money that's 60% stocks, 40% bonds, and I start with a certain dollar amount and I end with a dollar amount at the end of the year, even though I go into my investments and I see percentages of what I may have, you know, received in terms of the portfolio, it's really hard for me to figure out what did I really get unless I can reverse engineer and see it on paper, but that only comes because you're reversing it at the end of the year and thinking back. So let me give you an example. And this is where earlier when I said this is kind of difficult to do, (laughs) to communicate out, Um, but I have a piece of paper in front of me with numbers and I'm gonna share and talk through this. And then once I do that, I'm gonna circle back to Andy Hill, Marriage, Kids and Money, and talk about his scenario of getting to a million dollars and I'm just almost there as well and talk through critically thinking in terms of things that he said and then what I can share with you in terms of averages of how much I've saved and why it took me 15 years and it took he and his wife only 10 years. So in 2019, the market was really, really good. I also shared with you on a previous episode You'll recall that 2018, the market was not very good. In fact, 2018 was the first year that I ever logged a negative gain. So it's actually a loss, right? It's not a gain at all. A negative 3.5 loss for the year. 2015, I think I also shared with you, is just under 1%. So... The last 12 years of this bull market has always been going up and up and up and up. So I've had to, you know, start thinking critically about things like I shared with you previously, where if I'm going to save money in a savings account, 
and I'm not dollar cost averaging in, when would I want to pop that into the market? Well, probably when we go down like we did in March of this year. Remember that? So I'm starting to think more critically because we're coming into an environment that's very different than what I knew before. My whole savings and investing career, if you will, over the past 10, 15 years has all been in a bull market. So that's just an example of some critical thinking. But um, reverse engineering then, just to get back to this concept of looking at the year in reverse, in arrears, if you will, at the end, and trying to come to the dollar amounts of what you considered were the percentages of the gains based on what you put into the market and then what you ended the year with. So I do recall in a previous episode, I was giving you certain percentage gains, remember, for the year. And if you think back to that episode, 2019, I had logged that my gain was 19%. Well, 2018 was a loss of 3.5. 2015 was 1%. And remember, if we take all those years and we add it up or take away the negative 3.5 and then you divide it by those number of years, you get an average rate of return for your portfolio. Now, I also said if you're in 100% stocks, then you would be getting the same as the S&P 500 potentially for that year, but I'm not in 100% stocks and you are probably not either. That's known as your asset allocation. So I will say in 2019 is the year that I changed from, I think it was in the beginning of the year, from like 90% stocks to 10, I'm sorry, I was 90% stocks, 10% bonds, but it was that beginning of the year that I decided to level it out of the money that I had, not the money I'm putting in, but I balanced it out to about 60% stocks, 40% bonds. So that skews these numbers a little bit because if you're gonna think critically, you have to think in averages. And so I know that at the beginning of 2019, the amount that I had in savings and investments, and that's another thing that skews the numbers as well, is that savings, those interest rates are very low, but I have a lower amount in savings, that's my emergency fund. Then I have a lot more in the, you know, VTSAX mutual fund, for example, of the writing the total stock market um, that would get higher gains. So it's always hard to really see for sure, but these numbers are pretty darn close. So if I started the year of 2019 at $646,000, which includes savings and investing, um, and I'm also going to say real quick here that, you know, my VTSAX total stock market index fund for the final number of 2019 was 27%. So if I had 100% of my money in VTSAX, I would have got a 27% gain. But I don't have all my money in the stocks, do I? I have 60% approximately, approximately of it. And again, I did that approximately, I made that shift to 60-40 somewhere in the year 2019. So I'm looking at averages here. So 27%, that's a huge number. The bonds, my VPTLX bond fund, which if you think back to some of my episodes, I shared with you what amounts of money I have in those buckets. And again, these are kind of like benchmarks 
for stocks versus bonds? Well, the VBTLX got a 9% gain. So um, let me go back to the numbers that I have then. For the beginning of 2019, I had 646000 How much did I add of my money in? I added $58,000 of my money. So dollar cost averaging in. Some of it was pumping it in into my taxable account. But overall, including the matches that my company gives me, um, in fact, it would be, I have the exact numbers here of that 58000 It's 25000 into my 401k, 9500 into my Vanguard taxable account, 4500 was my company match, 3500 was my health savings account, 8500 I put into my Alley savings account, which only gets like 1%, and 7000 went into my Roth IRA, which consists of some bond funds and stock funds. So that equals $58,000. Um, now, I know the constant is that I ended the year with $805,000. Because if I go look at all of my money that's in, you know, in my Vanguard account that I have outside numbers going in, but if I look at collectively all of the number numbers, I ended the year at $805,000. So what's the difference of that? Well, it's like $158,000, right? So what am I doing? I'm reverse engineering to figure out you know, how much of it was principal? Well, I know that's a constant as well. It's 58,000. The interest then is about 134,000, and that represents 19%. So if you think about it, you know, if you take 27% for the total stock market plus 9% were the bonds, and if you just divide that by two, you get 18%. That's if I was in 50-50, but I'm 60-40, so it's close. So 19% is a little bit higher than the 18% because I have more money of that 646,000 and the print that I'm adding in dollar cost averaging throughout the year. It stands to reason that it's a little bit higher of a percent, so I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. That's $134,000 in interest in one year. But one thing that I did in the year 2019, because I was like, wow, this is such a great year, and because I only owe $33,000 on my mortgage, that was the year, I think it was October, which represents towards the end of my fiscal year, because I begin, as I shared with you previously, my fiscal year begins in March and ends in February. So I think it was around October of 2019 that I paid off the mortgage. I was debt-free, right? So that was $33,000. So if you take $646,000, you add in $58,000, adding as PRIN, I got $134,000 of interest, which represents about 19%, which makes sense. But I had to take away $33,000 of that to pay off the mortgage. You get about $805,000, and that's exactly how I ended the year. So one thing I would encourage you to do as you cross-check, not only within the months as you go throughout the year, but you may want to also then do a reverse engineering at the end of the year to see if those numbers make sense. That if you started with 646,000 and you ended with 804, what does that 158,000 in the middle represent? Some of it is principal, the, number you're, the money you're putting in. Some of it is interest. I always like to see 
you know, people can talk through numbers and say, well, you might average about 10% a year on average, but you just have to remember, wow, 2019 was like 27% for stocks, 9% for bonds. Not all years are like that. We had a negative year, but then if you average all those out, maybe it is around 8 9%, somewhere in there. But why not also look at that in terms of the money that you're putting in versus interest? I, th- I find it amazing that in the year 2019, I only had to put in 58000 of my money, but that money generated $134,000 in interest. Of course, I didn't spend that 134000 but I put it back in and the money grew. So this is how you can then think in terms of once you get to a point where you're ready to stop working, if it's such a fabulous year like 2019 was, and I wanted to withdraw 40000 you can see then that you would be ahead of the game in terms of taking money out. And if I just do an analysis here of 134000 in interest minus forty, you still have $94,000 of interest going into the buckets. And that's not exactly how you would take the money out, for example. But it's just a visual representation of that's what they say. That's what it means when they say, you know, hopefully you can just take out the interest to live on. If I needed 40000 out of the year 2019, then that's great. Whereas other years, if it's a negative loss, right, 2018, I'm not going to do the analysis for 2018 right now, but in that year, um, it was a 4% almost loss of money, not a 19% gain. Are you with me? So if I needed to take money out, could it be potentially that I'm diving into principal? And if you only have 500000 and you're you know, trying to get 40000 out of it, or even 20000 would represent about 4% of that, that, that's how you have to start thinking in terms of, you know, you're, you're on the accelerated part of your journey to financial independence, and you're putting money in the accumulation phase, but there's going to come a point, you know, if you're 40 right now and you're just starting like I did, I didn't even think about these concepts. But I just want to bring it to your attention that eventually, once you get to the point where I am, where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm probably wanting to stop working here in the next several years, this reverse engineering concept then helps me visualize and see that how I could take money out and be perfectly fine spending that 40000 knowing that I didn't touch any of my principal. Okay, so, so far in this episode, we've talked about how can you think critically. And I, the two things I came up with was cross-checking. Make it a habit. Make it a habit to cross-check the year. As you're building the year, even in the beginning, remember when I said you're building your spreadsheet in advance and you're plugging in all the numbers and you're saying, this is how much money I have coming in. This is how much money I'm going to have coming out. You're constantly going in week after week, cross-checking your spreadsheets, and then finally the year comes, you release the spreadsheet, but it doesn't end there. You're continuing to cross-check as the year goes on, and as you spend money, you take it from the buckets, you save your spreadsheet, and every time you open up that spreadsheet, again, you're thinking critically, you're cross-checking, you're saying, I'm going to get through the year with this amount of money into savings and investments, and how am I going to do that? Will I have to shift money around visually on my spreadsheet into the different buckets? Maybe. 
but this is how you can train yourself to think critically with every year going forward. And again, using a, a reverse engineering concept is a great way for you to see the year in arrears and see exactly in dollar amounts what the percentages of gain or loss actually represent. So I'd like to shift gears a little bit now and end with what I mentioned earlier, which was a great way to think critically is to, yes, compare yourself to others. I know, boy, that sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because, um, you know, in society today, we, we don't always want to be thinking about other people like, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. Um, but if you think about it in terms of reaching and gaining financial independence, of course, you can look at others that are doing really great things that you don't normally hear about. You don't normally hear about people like me. I'm anonymous on a podcast, Becoming Evan Thomas, and I'm anonymously sharing numbers with you. So you can also then cross check to your life and how you're doing to have a benchmark to be able to say, wow, somebody else is doing that. I would like in the future to come up with prototypes for every Broke at 40 listener out there. I think all of you are categorized into probably four different groups. I'm actually working on that right now for a future episode. Um, you represent one of four different individuals if you're Broke at 40. And I'll talk through what I mean by that a little bit later. But it, it really is okay to compare yourself to others that are doing really great things in the financial space. And I happened to stumble across an episode, Andy Hill with Marriage, Kids, and Money, and I just want to share with you what I heard. I took a few notes, and you can write these down as well, and I'm going to cross-check that to my journey, and I think I have some interesting numbers here to share with you. And, and you can then cross-check to your journey, because you're all in different stages. You might be broke right now. You may have 300000 you may have 600,000. You're somewhere in those ranges of learning about financial literacy and financial independence. So what I'd like you to do is compare to yourself, not from a perspective of, oh, I wish I was there, but from a perspective of, oh, look where I could be. So Andy Hill, again, I was listening to this podcast. It was somebody interviewed him. Well, what I know about him is he's 38 years old. I'm 54. Okay, so he's 38. He said that he and his wife reached million-dollar status in net worth. And I'm, I hope I'm getting all this correct. I wrote down a bunch of numbers here. I think he meant net worth, and it made sense because as I listened on, um, this really made sense. So they did it from age 28 to 38, which represents 10 years. And on the podcast here, I've been saying that most people can do it within 15 years, is what that's the journey that I'm on. But you have to remember, I'm single, so my numbers were a lot lower. And I was also not making as much money as the Andy Hill household. So Andy Hill, from age 28 to 38, his current age, he is now a millionaire in his million-dollar net worth. Um, he had said that he and his wife averaged about $190,000 income in those 10 years. $190,000 average in income during those 10 years. 
he said that they saved about 50% of their income every year. So what's 50% of 190,000? It's 95,000. And if you take 95,000 times 10 years, you get 950,000. And I did not even put interest in that equation at all. Are you following me? So these are just averages. So as I'm listening, I'm thinking, okay, that makes sense. So he and his wife took 10 years. They were saving about 95,000 on average per year. 10 years later, $950,000 net worth. But he said that he paid off his house. And I remember an episode where they celebrated that they paid off their house. I don't remember exactly when that was because I don't listen to any one podcast all the time. And I, I think I stumbled across a celebration maybe a few years ago. But I did. he did say in that interview that that house is worth 950000 So my assumption would be that they were putting money into that house to get it paid off so now it has equity they owe nothing on it and it's worth about 350,000 so that 95,000 was not going just into saving and investing that 95,000 was also allocated to paying off the mortgage as well so that becomes a $350,000 home that's paid for in the net worth equation which my assumption would be then that they have about 650,000 in investments because if you add 350 plus 650 you get 1 million. Now I could be off, they may have more in investments, but that's my analysis of what I heard in that podcast. So as you're thinking through this, right? If you want to get to a net worth, if you think you're going to stay in your home, which I would encourage all of you to do so, if you're 40 and you're broke and you're trying to get to a million dollar status or more, so that you can maybe quit your job. It would probably be highly advisable to stay in the home that you have. Don't always think that you need bigger homes, right? We've talked about that. Um, Because you don't have a longer time horizon. So that was my analysis of Andy Hill. Then I started thinking, well, let me think about myself. I, as you know, am about 950,000 net worth right now, almost a million. But it did not take me, I could not do it in 10 years. For me, it's 15 years. Remember, my journey started at age 40 in 2006. So, you know, roughly 14, 15 years later, here I am at a million dollars. And I also have a home that's paid off as well. It's not 350,000. My home is only 130,000. So, I also started thinking in terms of, well, how do I, in this podcast, communicate to you an average income of what I made? Because my salary, as I've pre- said previously in an episode, in 2005 and six, it was like $40,000. But every year, I kept getting more and more money from my company, remember? It was a steady growth from 40000 to just over 100000 of my salary, which is right now. So how do I give you an average? Well, what's 40,000, you know, all the way to 100,000, that's a 60,000 differential. And if you take 60,000 and you divide it by 15 years, you get 40, I'm sorry, 4,000. So an average would be, and I'll just run through these numbers quickly, 
you know, maybe in 2006 I earned 40,000. Then the next year it was 44,000, 48,000, 52, 56, 60, 64, 68, 72, 76, 80,000, 84,000, 88,000, 92,000, 96,000. So that would represent every year from, you know, 2006 till now, which is probably about right of, you know, my salary over those years. And if you add all that up, those numbers I just gave you, that's $1 million. So I've actually earned about a million dollars in 15 years of my income from my company. You divide that by 15 years, you get an average of 67,000 per year. So, you know, 67,000 minus 27 to get to the 40,000, and then 67,000 plus 33 to get to the 100,000, you know, that's that's pretty close. So an average would be that I made about $67,000 per year. And so um, as you think about, as you go forward, you know, nobody's, you're, you're never going to have the same amount of income every year. So, you know, think of it that way. So if you're on this journey to financial freedom, if you're on this journey to financial independence, and if you want to get to a million dollars, then start thinking in terms of, you know, how can you cross-check to people like me? How can you cross-check to people like Andy Hill? Can you do it as well? Of course you can. You just have to look at the your your situation. Think about the money you're saving every year. Um, do get your calculators out from dinkytown.net that I shared with you previously, and start playing with the numbers. Start thinking critically. Start reverse engineering. And so, you know, for me, if you look at that then and you say, um, and I didn't actually do this calculation, I probably should have. I probably should have gone into a calculator to figure out if I was saving 67000 per year in 15 years, what would that be on average? So actually, I'm going to go into a calculator right now. Sorry, I should have done this previously. I'll go to dinkytown.net. Maybe you can do the same with me as well. And let's just see if, for example, we're kind of getting an average over time to see if this is makes sense in terms of the money from you know 15 years into the future. So, well, if I started with zero, right? So back when I was 40 years old, I was broke. So I had zero. If we put in the calculator a number of years to save 15 years, I'm going to leave the percent of return blank for now. Annual contributions. Um, of course, this is my salary. So I think I made a mistake here. But, um, well, let's do it this way. If I know I have about... 800,000 in investments. How much on average am I putting in of that salary of 67,000 per year? Oh wow, what a train wreck. So I promised myself I would never go back and edit an episode and here I am four months later after recording that editing this episode. Thank you so much for listening so far everybody. Again, what a train wreck. So what I'm trying to say, and I'll let you continue this episode, and then of course we have a part two coming up, so I want you to watch or listen to that.
but $22,000 at 10%, because that's what I received over the past 15 years after the recession, at 10% in that 15 year time frame, $22,000 per year gets you to 800,000. Okay, so that's what I was trying to solve for. You would have to save $30,000 for 15 years at 10% to get the million. Now here's what's really interesting about this. Flash forward into the future four months and watch my episode in August of 2020, where I talk about how can you realistically get to a million dollars in the next 15 years going forward from the year 2020, because most people believe that we're not gonna get 10% in the market, in the S&P 500 in the next 15 years. So that's why I'm saying 6% is probably what you would want to forecast for, for the next 15 years to get to a million, which would take $40,000 per year. Listen to that episode where I can tell you how you can realistically get to a million, staggering that out over different dollar amounts, incrementally going up from the first year to the 15th. Yay! Probably 22,000. Okay, sorry about that. So if, for example, and here I am doing some reverse engineering and critical thinking, but I should have planned a little better, right? So I wanted to do a cross check. Of course, we know my average salary was maybe 67,000 per year. And, and as you know, that's not true because I had steady increases over those years. But if I started at zero and it took 15 years at maybe an average rate of return of about 9%, which would be maybe even 10% really because that was the bull market. Remember from 2006 until now, it was a bull market and I would guess it's about 10% because if you look in the calculator and I shared with this with you previously, it is about a 10% average rate of return, which makes sense. So on average, I probably put in about $22,000 per year to get to 800,000 in 15 years at a 10% return. Alrighty, so just wanted to say a couple things about critical thinking and reverse engineering in this episode. I am going to wrap up this episode for now. So I'm Evan Thomas. So thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, be safe in the world that we live in. So now is the time to come out ahead financially and plan your journey to financial independence. I hope you can learn from those like me that have finally broke through the media and social norms and are now thriving and taking steps towards their financial destiny. And as I will always say, it's okay to be broke at 40, whatever age you are, but it's not okay if you found this podcast and others to be in the same place you are 10 or 15 years into the future, right? That just, that just wouldn't be right. You can change your destiny, just like I did and many others. Of course, it took me 15 years to get here, and you can do it too. And you can become the millionaire next door.